0: For those of you who don't know, my name is Scotty Brown. I volunteer here at Bureau Bible Fellowship. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to have our online viewers. If you're watching us on Facebook, if you could like and share this video. Uh, first off, since it's not on my sheet, I'm going to tell you, uh, you can see the screen is not down. We do have uh, paper lyrics that are being handed out. So if you do not have those and would like to sing along with worship this morning... Uh, Make sure you get some of those. They're passing them out, looks like, at the front doors. All right, into some announcements. Uh, First Step Class. Here at Vero Bible Fellowship, we offer a First Step Class for our new folks. It's a great opportunity for you to meet our elders and our staff, leadership team, and also for uh, those members of our leadership to get to know you. Um, If you have not attended a First Step Class, we will be holding one On Tuesday, November 15th at 6.30 p.m. at Church of Christ, which is on Route 60, in the upstairs youth wing. That is our first step class, Tuesday, November 15th, 6.30 p.m. at Church of Christ in the upstairs youth wing. If you'd like to sign up for that class, please sign up at the information table in the back. Hurricane Ian, Disaster Relief. The elders have decided that they will be stepping in to help with Hurricane Relief. Uh, There are four different ways that Vero Bible Fellowship will be helping out in that. Those were outlined in our uh, e-newsletter. So if you did not receive that, make sure that we have your information. Um, If you want to connect with the team that is personally going over to help in the relief effort, please sign up in the information table today. And we will connect with you uh, how to get involved in that effort. So if you'd like to personally go over and help with the disaster relief, please make sure you sign up today at the information table in the back. All right, this is exciting for me. The next and last two announcements are holiday related. (laughs) So the weather's changing. We're starting to get there. And best of all, we're going to be eating some good food, right? Okay, Teen Challenge Thanksgiving. This is a great tradition that we have here at Vera Bible Fellowship. This will be our fourth year of serving Teen Challenge um, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, This is a giant undertaking by this church, and we need to get everyone involved. Pastor Greg will be sharing a little bit more later, but the thing you need to know today is if you would like to be involved in that, today you need to sign up. Let's get everyone going so that we can get things moving in their proper places. So that's for the Teen Challenge Thanksgiving dinner. Sign up at the information table in the back. And then finally, Operation Christmas Child. We will be having the shoeboxes here in two weeks. The Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes will be here in two weeks. These go around to children around the world in underserved countries. And then also, a cool thing about this is those children will also receive uh, the message of the gospel as they receive these boxes. So that's wonderful. Uh, the Amicos and the Reeds will be heading that up this year. And as I said, those will be here in two weeks, so make sure you connect with them um, if there's any way to help with that shoebox drive. As always, we do not pass uh, an offering plate here at Vero Bible Fellowship, so if you would like to give, uh, there is a box in the back that you can make your donation to, and then also you could give online, or you could even mail in a check to the church office. And now we will move into the worship portion.
1: Well, good morning, Church. It's good to be with you all today, and I just want to say, Scotty said this, but if uh, you didn't get a piece of paper with the lyrics on it, please—you uh, can run back there, or, or uh, I think we have some people that could even bring it to you right now. Um, you could just pop your hand up. But we, we, um, you know, we believe that this first part of our service is about singing. Uh, so the lyrics are super important to that. We—we're we're not trying to perform up here. We're not trying to. Um, just uh, allow you guys to, to listen to this, but we, we, we want to invite you to sing praises to God, to actually have those words on your lips. And so um, please, uh, please grab one of those um, if you need it. And because we don't have uh, the screen, and we always start with the Bible, I just invite you to take your Bible right now and turn to Isaiah chapter six so we can look at this passage together before we stand and sing together. Uh, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. And um, as you turn there, we, we again come to, um, in our text today, in our text of Scripture that will be preached, we again come to the idea of humility. And so as we were kind of planning the service, and I was thinking, how do we prepare our hearts uh, for, for, to receive from the Lord about humility? Um, the thing that came clearest to mind was that we would sing and we would pray and we would think about God's holiness. Because I think when we truly understand, when we truly see, when we truly experience the holiness of God, we cannot help but humble ourselves. And so uh, let's look at this together. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. No matter how many times I read this passage, it is just truly incredible. It's a vision that Isaiah receives from the Lord. Let's look at it together. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Amen. Let's sing to him together. Would you stand with us? And let's lift our voices singing holy, holy, holy.
2: A song shall rise to thee, holy, 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 merciful. And
1: with just our voices. Oh, Let's pray together. Lord, when we think about and sing about your holiness, it's almost hard to begin praying. And I think we truly are not worthy to speak to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet you are so merciful and gracious to hear our prayers. And so we take this moment to praise you as the God who is higher than any other being, who is so set apart, so altogether awesome. We acknowledge that you are the creator and that we are simply the creatures and that nothing compares to you, Lord. We acknowledge that you are perfect in every way Every attribute you have that is all of who you are is perfect in every way. Your love, your justice, your patience, your mercy. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the only one who is truly morally pure in every way. And so we take this time as your people to confess our sins to you. We confess the ways that we have acted in unrighteousness this week. Uh, We confess the ways that we have done wrong toward others, toward ourselves. Lord, we confess the ways that we have failed to be devoted to you, failed to be set apart as your people. Lord, we confess the ways that we have sinned in pride, and not lived rightly in humility and lord we come to you knowing and trusting that because of what jesus has done though it doesn't make sense you have forgiven us Amen. and so we ask for forgiveness in the name of jesus and we pray this all in his precious and great We're going to sing one more song, but the end of that passage in Isaiah is so beautiful. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, that's Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said this, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There's no more precious promise that we could hold to. And later in Isaiah, we just get this beautiful verse that I want to share as we lead into this next song. It's really really even a promise in itself. Later in Isaiah 33, it says, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. And it is that king that is our savior. And so we're going to sing this last song the king and all his beauty, and just continue to worship God in his holiness, for his holiness, and all that he is, all that he is worthy of. And so would you stand one more time with us as we sing?
2: Mm Oh this day. Just
1: to us your ever perfect goodness and we thank you Lord for that great promise that our sins have been atoned for that we have been forgiven by our gracious King Jesus Christ Lord we thank you so much for that promise and Lord we just thank you for all that you have done in our lives all that you are You are such a good king, and we love you, Lord. And so we pray this all in the name of our king, Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can take a seat. All right kids, it's that time. We're going to invite you to f- come forward to the front and make your way off to children's ministry. Invite our volunteers up as well. And um it's just always so good to be together as a church family. Um we appreciate every part of our church family and we're thankful for each of our kids. And um it's just a it's it's special to be together and and to sing and to worship God together. And one of the things that always amazes me, and, and I think it's so easy to take for granted, is that the reason we gather, we have many reasons. We, we gather for fellowship. We um, love the relationships that we have. We, we gather to sing. We, we, we do gather to worship together. But what amazes me is that when we gather, we are gathering to hear from God. And I think that just is so easy to take for granted. We're gathering to hear from the creator of the universe, the Holy One of Israel. And so um, we're now going to have our scripture reading, and it's going to be in Acts 21 if you want to turn there. But I just encourage you to prepare your heart for the reading of God's word now.
0: So that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in obedience of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled. And from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, Clothe yourself... All of you with humility towards one another. And for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. This is the word of the Lord.
3: With your Bibles already turned to Acts chapter 21, uh, as Scotty was reading, I was trying to think how some of you would receive that text. And the reality is it's a tough text to understand because here we have the elders of the church uh, asking Paul to observe the law, to actually uh, follow through with the Nazarite vow. And uh, it it appears that uh, he's being called back into law rather than grace and that's why this text is important that's why as a church we need to look at it more closely and understand what exactly is happening otherwise we could be led to think maybe that uh, the bible is contradicting itself because christ set us free from the law and here paul is going to observe the law at the command of the elders Uh, One thing that jumps off the page that I think is very important to us is that Paul, who is an apostle, is submitting to the church elders in Jerusalem. And when it started, when things started out, it was the apostles who started the church. You go all the way back to chapter uh, 6, verse 4, they came to the elders and they asked, what are we going to do about the, the, the widows who are not being served the same portion of bread? And, and they said, appoint from among you, the elders said, or the, I'm sorry, the apostles said, appoint from among you those who would serve and chose seven men who were spirit-filled and full of wisdom. And, and we even before that, remember they, in the early church, they were gathering in homes and then they began to sell their properties and they came and laid them, the monies at the feet of the Apostles. So the apostles were the key leaders of the church when it started. And now all of a sudden, in chapter 21, we see that it's elders that are leading the church. And Paul, one of the apostles, is submitting to their leadership. This is quite interesting. It's a shift. And that's what I want to share with you again. This is, like, this is like part four of our chapter 21 study in the book of Acts uh, we, we will get out of chapter 21, I promise. In fact, last week, Ray Garcia did a tremendous job leading you into chapter 22. Did you not appreciate that word that the Lord gave through Ray? What a great word that was. And uh, amen. And, and, and this week, we'll finish up 21, then we'll complete 2022 20, next week. But, but the reality is, you have a church that is in transition. The early church is in transition, They're moving from from law to Christ, and there are many who are truly saved, but they're still observing the law, and that's where we begin here. Let's pick it up again at verse 17, if you will. We'll back up just a little bit. When, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done Among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, what's he referring to? Paul is referring to his missionary journey, the third missionary journey, and all the Gentiles who came to Christ. In fact, the reality is more than what you see or read here. He brought some of those converts, Gentile converts, with him to Jerusalem because they were carrying the money that their particular church had raised for the poor widows and the poor people of Jerusalem. So Paul not only is saying God did a marvelous work, but here's here's the marvelous work. I'm bringing some of these Gentiles who've come to Christ. And, And interestingly enough, the elders respond appropriately. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So first of all, Paul didn't bring glory to himself. He didn't say, this is what I did on my last journey. He said, this is what God did. It's what God did through me. He gave all the glory to God, and the elders rightly responded in in a heart of worship. They said, we praise God for what he did through you. They, they, They didn't praise Paul. They praised God. This is the example that is given us of the early church. This ought to be who we are today, a people who rightly give God the glory for all that is good, not some. And we give man no glory for the good things that God has done. When I was just a teenager, I remember going to a camp meeting, and the, the, the it was, he wasn't the worship leader. He was uh, like the director of this particular camp meeting. And he came out, he was so excited. He was a short little guy. And he was so excited. He said, I just want to report to everybody. The place is packed with people. He goes, we just got permission. We we were talking with Bill and Gloria Gaither, and the Gaithers wrote a new song. It's called, I'm So Glad I'm a Part of the Family of God. Remember that song? Now I'm dating myself, how old I am. And, And he was so excited. He says, they gave us permission to sing this new song that hasn't even been put out yet. To the public, we've got permission to sing it. He was so excited, and the people were so excited. Oh, 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 and then the speaker got up to preach, and the speaker said, Isn't that interesting that we have to get permission from Bill and Gloria Gaither for a song that God gave them? Oh, yeah. Let's give the glory. To God, not to man. When they heard it, they glorified God the Father. God should always get the glory. 1 Timothy chapter 6, write it down. 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, just two verses. 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, Paul speaking to his young protege, Timothy, his son in the faith, He tells us that God, he says, is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, Amen. Paul gave no glory to any man, and Paul was not about to take the glory for what God had done on his third missionary journey. Do you really want to try and steal the glory from God when you are sharing a story uh, about someone who came to Christ and you were present? Do you really want to make it sound like you're the one that led them to Jesus? You're the one, you're the trigger, you were the kingpin for why it happened? Really? Not a good idea. God should get all the glory. The elders made sure to give him the glory. And and that's what we should do. And by the way, a healthy church does not put the pastor on a pedestal. I'm going to say that again. A healthy church does not put the pastor on a pedestal. He is a man like every other man. And it is only by the calling of God that he can fulfill what God has called him to do by teaching and preaching the Word of God from the pulpit. That is a serious thing. He will be held to a double accountability. And because of that, yes, the Bible says he should be given double honor. But don't worship him. No man owns the church. No man, no church should carry the personality of the pastor. We should carry the personality of God. The attributes of God should be alive and well in our church. And I believe they are. Thank you, church, for lifting God up, for bringing glory to his name, for pointing people to Jesus, not to ourselves. So now the elders, they turn the focus after Paul sharing what God had done uh, to uh, to the Gentiles, saving Gentiles. Now the, the elders in Jerusalem get in on it. And they said in verse 20, and they said to him, You see, my brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Thousands of Jews have believed. That is a very misleading word, thousands, because in the Greek it literally means tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. And look what he look what they said to Paul. You see, brother. In other words, Paul, the tens of thousands, it's evident. You can see it all over Jerusalem. Tens of thousands of believers where they had just started a church and 120 gathered and then 3,000 got saved. A church that started with 3,120 and now it's tens of thousands. Praise God. So first Paul gives glory to God for what he's done among the Gentiles through God. And then James and the elders gave a report of God's work among the Jews. Great stuff. The church is really humming now. I mean, it's really going somewhere. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Wherever a great work of God is happening, know that there will always be a work of man that tries to hinder it, that will interrupt what God is doing. Isn't that always the case? Let's say you come out of a song and, man, it was just a worshipful moment and the whole body is like just caught up in that moment of worship and the words that we were singing and God is speaking and he's dealing with hearts and it's in a somber holy moment of silence you know the scripture actually says for alone my soul waits in silence for my hope is in him and I love those moments when God presents himself that way and in that moment all of a sudden somebody breaks out with a clap and destroys the moment where the Spirit of God is moving. And, and really, probably what it comes down to is a person <clears throat> who has not yet understood what worship is, and that its worship is not a form of entertainment. You don't applaud for how good that was. Now, there are moments when we all, as we're singing, about the greatness of God, the attributes, the character of God, and we're just taken up in it. And we're all led to just, woo, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of truth. There's moments like that, and that's good, where we're all sensing excitement. It's almost like we've, we've learned something here. We've been reminded of something here about the verity of God, and now because of that, our emotions join in. That's a good thing. But then there's other times where God is moving in a very quiet way amongst us. Amen? And a congregation who values worship learns to know the difference and respect the difference. And yet, here's the, here's the thing we must remember. This is why, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Tom. So appreciate that. Amen. I don't know what he put in this, but I'm sure it's good. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, Amen. Thank you so much, man. I can go another forty-five minutes on top. He doesn't know what he did. <clears throat> amen, brother. You just primed, you prime the pump. Okay, so what was I saying? I don't know, but hopefully it was it was uh, of the Lord. So no. Just in that moment, staying in this moment for a second. So, so, when someone does clap at the inappropriate time because they have not yet in their new faith, or maybe they're not even saved, they saw something up front and they thought, that was really good, we don't judge people who don't know the difference, right? Right? See, that's a healthy church too. Healthy church tries to be discerning and worship to know when it's appropriate and not appropriate to follow the spirit, however he's leading. But then we don't hold people hostage who get it wrong. You don't know that in that person's heart what they've been going through that week, and they just can't help themselves but to erupt. So we, we need to be, have sensitive hearts and prefer our brothers and sisters over ourselves. And this is the way of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see it right in our text. But I want to stay here for just a moment because what leads Paul to have this, this respect for the elders to carry out a command that actually seems to go against everything that he has taught it, it's because Paul is walking in humility. He's walking in humility. And, and so Paul is able to, to allow things to hap- happen in such a way that God can still use him. Here, here's the thing that I want to be careful of. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness that you might also be led astray from the simple and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, don't get caught up in high church. Make it simple and pure. Keep it simple and pure, your devotion to Jesus. Amen? And so when we do that, that means that we're feet are on the ground. That means that that I am desiring humility. I'm not letting... What I know about God puff me up. I, I stay in a level of humility, and I can treat others with humility and, and love them, even though maybe I see it differently than they do. And so now we come, and he says, they, here's what the elders said. The good news is tens of thousands have come to Christ. Jewish people have turned to Jesus for uh, salvation. But then they added this to the last part of it, which tells you that while the church is humming, there's still some people that are singing out of tune, and it says they are all zealous for the law. So these wonderful Jews who are getting saved by Jesus are still attached to the law. They're coming to Jesus, but the elders say they are zealous for the law. These believers were still beholden to some degree to the ceremonies of Judaism. They hadn't yet shaken off <laughs> excuse me, their Jewish ceremonial roots. They were still hanging up on the Passover. They were still keeping some of the Sabbath. They were still watching what they ate. They're still practicing the Old Testament law. This is the scene that the Apostle Paul comes into in Jerusalem when it's exploding with salvation. Jewish people. But there's hangups. They had believed in Jesus for salvation but hadn't shed the trappings of the ceremonial laws. They weren't able to fully grasp the reality that once God split the veil of the temple, he no longer was going to be found in that secret system. It's interesting. There is no outer manifestation of the holy of holies anymore. In that day when the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, the veil God's no longer behind there. The Holy of Holies is no longer the Holy of Holies. And yet the Jewish people continued to worship it that way. That's what Judaism is. And these Christians who are saved by Jesus are still, out of respect, out of their long-standing heritage, are still also participating in ceremonial laws. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? All of a sudden, God has moved from an external location that you go to, and even going to the temple, you can't go into the Holy of Holies. And now Jesus dies on the cross, God raises him from the dead, and the veil of the temple is rent because all sins have been paid for. You've been transformed by Jesus. You don't need a God who's in secret. You don't need some kind of an Old Testament system. Because now, Jesus, after resurrection, lives in you by the Holy Spirit. God is in you. It's internal now, not external. But the Jews in that day were still struggling with this. That's why Jesus, on... The last day of the great feast in John chapter 7, in verse 37, he said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. This would have been the Feast of Tabernacle in the fall. The Feast of Tabernacle was a remembrance of God's people who would gather from all over the known world in Jerusalem, be millions, three million people would gather. And they would celebrate how God had provided for their forefathers in the wilderness for 40 years. How for 40 years, their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore off. How God brought water out of a rock. For 40 years, God provided manna from heaven. Get up in the morning, and there's manna laying all over the ground, and you pick up what you need for the day. Don't take more than you need for one day because it'll rot. God didn't want them to trust the manna for tomorrow's uh, food. He wanted them to trust him for the manna. And that's what they would celebrate. And what they would do, they'd come to Jerusalem, millions, and they would build these little huts. And then they would sleep in the hut as a picture, as a reminder of what it was like for their forefathers who were living in the wilderness for 40 years. And they would look up at night, and the little child would look up, and he could see the stars in the cracks of the ceiling of the hut. This is what it was like for Israel. And they would remind. And then on the final day of the great feast, they would all gather at the steps of the Temple Mount. These are rock steps that would go up to the temple. And these able bodied men would come with these giant jars. They would walk down all the way to the base, to the bottom. And they would draw water from the well in these large vats and they would carry them back up the steps and all the people standing to the side watching. And then they would tilt these jars, these vats, and the water would flow down the rocks as a picture of water coming from a rock. And on that last day, very possible that while this was happening, While the steps are still damp, Jesus goes and stands on the step. And it says in this text here, he cries out. So he's not just talking in a normal voice. He's not raising his voice. He is crying out. And listen to what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you thirst, don't lean on a a sacramental system that takes you back to your forefathers that lived long ago trusting in God. You can trust in God today for the food, for the water, for your life. That's what he was saying. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, not out of the temple, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, it says that he spoke about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. See, Jesus hadn't gone to heaven yet, so the spirit hadn't come, but he's speaking a future tense. He's going to come, he's going to fill you. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But one day The Spirit will flow out of you like springs of living water. So why in the world would Paul submit to a command that would call him back into that sacrificial system? Why would he do it? Well, let's take a look. Let's go further here. I want you to remember what I said earlier and what we said prior and that is that in this sacrificial, sacramental system, this is a picture of a transition. People are coming from the law to Jesus. And it wouldn't it be wonderful if when we get saved, all of us just, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, when we're saved, we all change. Our clothes changes, the way we talk changes, our behaviors change completely. No more dirty words out of our, wouldn't that be wonderful? You get saved, and I mean you are completely inside and out a different person. That's not the way it works. God saves you, your, your, your inner being, the real you. Your soul, your spirit is regenerated. But you have to f- learn by the word it begins to take over who you are on the outside. It takes time. It's not right for anyone here to expect a brand new believer to act like you. Well, I hope they don't act like you. Amen. It's not right. We should love people where they are. Amen? Love them where they are. Every, listen, (coughs) every single Sunday, that's how we should treat people. We treat them the way Jesus sees them, not the way we want to see them. Because we you know what, here, here's how whacked out we are. This is how sideways we get. We can quickly point out the sins of others, but we can't seem to see those same sins in us. Isn't that interesting how that works? I can quickly forget my own sins as I'm pointing out your sin. So basically Jesus addressed it and said, well, here's the picture, this is what it looks like. You're walking around with a huge log hanging out of your eye. And you're trying to point out the splinter, a little tiny splinter that's in your brother's eye. It's an ugly sight. And as a church, we have to continually work on that. Amen? We're a work in progress. Say that with me. I'm a work in progress. Amen. Tell tell that to your spouse right now. I am a work of progress. I admit it. Okay, good, good. So this is a process, and I'm going somewhere, so hang with me. The Jews coming to Jesus are still in a process. They're still hanging up on the old stuff. But they are truly saved. Where Paul would get upset is if they were placing their righteousness in the practice of the law. But just because they're practicing it, placing their righteousness in Christ, he didn't make a big deal out of it. And, and, and God's not making a big deal out of it either. If you go back to Acts chapter, I'm not going to turn there, but Acts 18, 18, we see Paul who took a Nazarite vow himself. And he's coming to Jerusalem at, he wanted to get there by Passover, but he couldn't because God took him a different route. And so he gets there by, by uh, Pentecost, 50 days later. And he gets there to complete at the temple, By the priest, his Nazarite vow. This is the Apostle Paul, who's still practicing some things. But he's not practicing the the Nazarite vow to find righteousness. He found that in Jesus. Who knows why? Well, guess what? We find out why right here in our text. Now, there's going to come a moment not long from here. Uh, this this period of time right now is probably somewhere uh, around 64 uh, A.D. When Paul is experiencing all of this. Um, in 70 A.D. God completely annihilates the Jewish system. He completely annihilates 70 A.D. That's when God took away all Jewish community he destroyed jerusalem with through the roman commander titus he allowed titus to come in and wipe the city out wipe it right off the face of the earth 1.1 million jews died they were killed during the siege of jerusalem over just a few weeks and then within a few years of that time 985 towns in palestine were destroyed and all the inhabitants were destroyed i mean rome completely decimated jerusalem and judea think about that why because god was going to now it was time for the jews who had come to jesus to move on and leave those other ways behind We don't find our righteousness, we don't find our hope, we don't find our peace in ritual. We find it in Jesus himself. Amen? There's nothing wrong with you wanting to practice a Seder meal, you know, this Passover. Nothing wrong with you taking an attitude that I just have set aside, you know, Saturday is a day of rest. Okay, that's fine, but don't do it for the reasons of righteousness. Because you're not fine. That is not that is not how God brings righteousness to you. Jesus, the Bible says, is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he lives in you every day. You can have Sabbath anytime the Lord leads you. You don't have to wait for a Saturday. Okay? See, we're set above, we're set free from that. And really the clearest picture of that is found in 68 AD, two years before. The temple is destroyed by Titus. Guess what book of the Bible was released? It was written and completed. The book of Hebrews. God wrote a book specifically for the Jews to understand that the Old Testament was the shadow. It was never the substance. The Old Testament law was never the substance. That the New Testament, the story of the gospel, Jesus Christ, that's the substance. And so God releases that for two years and then God allows Titus to come and destroy the old system. So in our study today, at at that time, they were making Jews who were trying to live out their faith in the clutches of these ceremonial laws. And now they have an issue with the apostle Paul. These Jews have an issue. Why? Because there were those who were telling them that Paul is completely against judaism he's completely against any practice of the law verse 21 and they the zealots for the law have been told about you that you teach all the jews who are among the gentiles to forsake moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs remember now judaizers were people who believed that jesus was the messiah but you couldn't be saved unless you were a jew so for a gentile to get saved he had to become a jew he had to be circumcised well the 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 jerusalem council in chapter 15 sent out a word to all the people and said you don't have to if you're a gentile you don't have to be circumcised you just need to walk in morality don't walk in immorality you you placed your hope in christ so they dealt with that system but paul had already written the book of romans also (laughs) this is interesting which he wrote from Corinth. So he wrote this from one of his missionary journeys, the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he said, look, if a Jew wants to observe the day, that's no big deal. Let them observe it. And if a Jew doesn't want to eat certain things, don't force him. (laughs) You that are strong in the faith, don't oppress those who are weak in the faith. Give them time to grow up. He said, for some it's a problem, for others it's not. Let's stoop to the weaker brother and let's not offend him. So those who are still practicing some of the Old Testament law, don't don't get on them. They're just weak in the faith right now. They'll grow. And that's how we should treat those who are weak in the faith in our church. Now, that doesn't mean ignore sin. Go to them in love and call that sin out. You want to help that brother or sister who has stumbled. But don't think for a second that the answer is for you to try to set them straight and get in their face and make them feel bad for what they've done. There are people in this church right now who are in a process with God, and some are ahead of others in certain ways, and the ones who are ahead in one way are behind in another way. Amen? And so we need to show respect and love for one another. That's what Paul is saying, and that's why Paul submitted to the elders. And what did the elders request of him? What then is to be done? Verse 22, (coughs) excuse me, they will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. So the elders are commanding Paul. These are elders commanding an apostle. But that's the way it was. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them, because Paul also had been practicing a Nazarite vow. And pay their expenses, in other words, buy the animals they need for sacrifice. You you pay for the, all these guys to go and finish their, their Nazarite vow at the temple in, before the priest. And he says, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live not in obedience to the law, but in observance of the law. In other words, Paul... Let them see that you're not opposed to those who are still hanging up, out of their heritage, the practice of certain c- ceremonial systems. Don't make a big deal out of it, but go and let them see that you too. And Paul had, he had in eight, chapter 18, he had said, I've I made a vow to God and i got to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the vow. So let people see that. And that will help them know that those who spread this lie that somehow Paul is against, uh, anything that has to do with, with uh, the observance of law is not true. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what is sacrificed to idols, from blood, from that which was strangled and from sexual. Humor. That was the uh, Acts chapter 15 council. That's what they, the letter they sent out to the Gentiles. And then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice that when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented uh, for each one of them. So just a quick word about this vow that Paul made, because by the way, you can still do a Nazarite vow today. You could. There's nothing wrong when you do it. it. It would have to be something you feel led to do. Okay? Let me explain a Nazarite value. When I say Nazarite, it has nothing to do with, with a Nazarene from Nazareth. Okay? That's a totally separate word. The Greek for this is Nazir, N A Z I R, Nazir. And it means to be separated or consecrated. So what would happen is the Bible spoke all the way back in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it talked about when you really wanted to set yourself apart for a season of time. It was usually a 30, a 60, or a 90-day period that you would set yourself apart. You want to be consecrated. And so there were several things, uh, regulations that were put on you if you took a Nazarite vow. Okay? First, You were to abstain from wine or any fermented drink. But that also included drinking grape juice. I mean, you couldn't even drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. You couldn't do any of that if you're under a Nazarite vow. And then next, the Nazarite vow was not to cut his his hair for the length of the vow. So if it was a 90-day vow, you went three months, you didn't cut your hair. Okay, now, by the way, there were three men who were in... Oh, thank you very much, Nancy. I'm getting loaded up here on water. I'm going to need a bathroom break before I get out of here. (laughs) Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Uh, So there were three men who actually practiced a Nazarite vow for life. Samson, Samuel, know the third one? John the Baptist. They never cut their hair. Well, that's not true for Samson, is it? He broke the vow by, you say, he didn't cut his hair, that woman did, that, that wicked woman did. He, he broke the vow because he went after that woman, that wicked woman. And, and so in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it gives the procedure for completing the vow. You had to make a sacrifice. You had to take the hair that you had grown and, you, and it was cut and it was put on the altar, And the priest did the final task of completing the sacrificial process, which ended the vow. So there had to be a sacrifice that was made. And they said to Paul, Paul, in order to show people that you're not against those who are weak in the faith and still practicing law, they're not doing it for righteousness, but they're just caught up in the tradition. You too, show this. Let them see you giving your Nazarite vow. That'll help them to know that the words that were spoken about you are lies, You are not against Moses. You're not against uh, the the practice of things when they're done for the right reason. So uh, this was, a. by the way, this was a costly sacrifice for Paul. He had to pay for the animals for four men and himself. It cost him something to do this. And here's the point. Paul submits. You don't see any contention. You don't see any rebuttal. This is an apostle who's submitting to the elders of the church. Why? How could he do that? I'll tell you how. Because Paul was overtaken by a spirit of humility. He did not think that he deserved anything else than to submit to what they were saying. And I just think this is powerful. I'm I want to just close our time with this, and I want to leave this thought with you because this is the thought I believe the Lord wants us to take home today. Paul does everything the elders ask of him because his ministry and his title and his name wasn't his own. All of it came from Christ. It is really hard to offend someone Who has no rights? Who is it easy to offend? A person who claims all these different rights. Well, it's my right. But when you are a humble vessel that lives to serve the Lord as a slave of Jesus Christ, you can't offend those kinds of people. Because they don't claim their life as belonging to them. Their life belongs to Christ. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When did Paul write that? Around 49 AD, long before the elders asked him to go and make the sacrifice and the vow. He knew he didn't belong to himself. He submitted to those who were the spiritual leaders of the church. And by the way, elders are the way that God has designed the church for today. That's the spiritual leadership group that will be held accountable Elders. Elders. I love this. At the beginning of Galatians, this book where Paul said what I just read, it starts out this way. Here's his, here's his greeting. Here's his introduction. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. I am only here because of what Christ has done in me. he, He never lost sight of that. Let me ask you a question. Have you lost sight of that? What Christ has done in you? That in your titles, in your name, in your fame, whatever it is that you're hanging your hat on, And then you came to Jesus, and Jesus didn't save you because of any of those things. In spite of those things, Jesus saved you. You might have seen that I was, you know, man, I've got money, I've got this, I've got that, people love me. Jesus looks at you and says, you're poor, blind, and naked, and you need to receive from me true life. When we, as a people, one local fellowship, walk in that spirit and that understanding that my, my identity is not in what I've created or what man has said about me. My identity is in what my Savior has done for me and through me. My identity's Him. Then you're able to go and put up with those who are maybe weaker in the faith, and you love them. You don't judge them even take time to get to know them, to help them. Amen? This is what a healthy church does. That's what healthy mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers do. They come alongside the little babes. They nurture them so that those little babes can grow up and be spiritual young men and women who then in their own experiences with Christ, they grow into spiritual moms and dads. This is the flow. This is how God has designed His church. This is what makes us click as a fellowship when we remember that our identity, like Paul, is only found in Christ. Only found in Christ. Father, this morning, as we have thought through just a short part of this this passage, but a necessary part, that we would be willing to do whatever You ask us to do, and we would do it with a humble heart, recognizing that apart from you, we can do nothing. With you, all things are possible. And so, God, today I pray that, that the family of Vero Bible Fellowship, the flock of Vero Bible Fellowship, would take on the identity of Jesus alone. The identity that you have given us that we are called children of God. And what a blessing to be called a child of God, knowing that my sins have been forgiven. I didn't do anything to, to deserve that. I didn't merit it. It was simply the grace gift of God in my life that we have been chosen by God from the foundation of the world to know Him, to love Him, to be in His family And with that spirit and attitude of understanding and gratefulness, we now look to one another and we look to the world to love them. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say one word to you in closing. Just feel led to say this. Be very careful what you say in public places be very careful the attitude that you project be very careful the demeanor of your behavior that you send social settings social media i i look at sometimes some of the things that we say in social media about politicians about other things you can have a personal feeling that someone is is evil But you are a believer, and God forgave you of your evil. What right do you have to point out the evil of others? When you walk in the spirit of Christ, you don't want to do that. You want to pray for him. And you want to be careful how you say what you say, so that those who have yet to come to Jesus will see Christ in you, not you. If they see me, they'll never come to Jesus. They need to see Jesus. Amen? That's important for all of us. So do a, do a heart check on that. It's not just how we treat each other here. It's also how we treat the world out there. Amen? All right. Hey, let me just say in closing that uh, I'm excited for our Thanksgiving uh, day. We're going to be with the boys from Team Challenge. Uh, They'll be with us next Sunday, I believe. Their moms and dads will be here as well. So that'll be exciting. And uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. But on Thanksgiving Day, we're going to feed the boys as we have. This is our fourth annual uh, Thanksgiving dinner with Teen Challenge boys. And there will be a total of about up to maybe 60 people that can fit into the room. We're going to go to the plaza on 17th Street next to Strunk Funeral Home. And that's where we'll host the boys and feed them. Uh, Our our goal has always been to provide a home-cooked meal for the boys, to put them in a family setting as much as we possibly can so that they have a real family Thanksgiving dinner. And so if you would like to sign up, uh, there's a sheet. It looks something like this. It's on the table in the back, uh, as if those of you in the back can see that. Anyway, um, it's back there, and you can sign up to help. Uh, know this, that we only have room for about 60 people. I, and when I say 60, I mean including the boys. The whole room, about 60 is what we can handle to feed them and, and to d- have a service. So we, not everyone here who would like to attend probably can, but sign up. And we need from all of you where you can participate is in making food. The food needs to be, be delivered. You can start delivering at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, and and w- just go to the plaza we'll have the address in fact i think it's back well if it's not we'll we'll get it to you we'll get you the address and you can deliver the food there but sign up and let us know you'd like to help and how you'd like to help okay so uh, we we like to hear from you and uh and it ought to be a great event as always amen all right god bless each of you